I never get tired of reading the account and meditating on the resurrection. John 20 that we just read is is my favorite account of the resurrection. It, it would be so much fun to be there in person and experience the range of of emotions that that were that happened that day, wouldn't it? Th- think about where they were. Mary, who loved Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene. And by the way, the other accounts say that there was Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, who went to the tomb that morning. Mary Magdalene, who loved Jesus so much, was distraught. And she got to the tomb, and she was even more distraught when she found that the tomb was empty. And that uh, distraughtness went to sheer, absolute joy in just a few minutes' time. Wouldn't that have been wonderful to be there? To think about what it would have been like later that day when the disciples are in a locked room and all of a sudden Jesus just appears in his glorified body. And, and it just would have been wonderful. See the look on their faces, to hear the sorrow, to see the joy, to see the, the resurrected and glorified Lord would have been priceless. This day is literally the most important day of biblical history, isn't it? Actually, it's the most important day in all of human history. Hands down, most important day. This is the, uh, I hope I'm using the right word, the fulcrum in which history turns, or uh, however you want to put it. Um, it. It's so important. It was great that Jesus was born. But as significant as that was, Jesus' birth didn't help us. It was undeniably essential that Jesus suffered and died on the cross. But if he had died and was never resurrected, we would still be hopeless. It was only when Christ was crucified and resurrected that we now have hope. And this makes Resurrection Sunday the most important day in history. The Jews worshiped the Lord on the Sabbath. Christians now worship the Lord on Sunday, which is called the Lord's Day. And they, they did that. So that every Sunday literally is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the tomb. And that is why we meet on Sundays. Now what I want to do today is is take this truth and I want to just ask some questions that you may or may not have asked in the past. And just um, take the truths and hang a little bit of meat on it by asking questions and, and answering them by going through Scripture talking about the resurrection and so the first question that I have to ask is, um, if, if Jesus had died on the cross and never been resurrected, we're hopeless. So then what was the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross? What did his dying on the cross accomplish? Well, Christ's death accomplished the payment for our sins. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7, it says, In Him we have redemption. That's the important word. Redemption through the blood, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. That word redemption is so terribly important. As a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody's noticed, the word redemption has been used a lot this week in the news. Does anybody, anybody remember that? Okay, let me let me refresh your memory. No, I'm serious. This is not a laughing matter. This is 
Um, if you Google the name Tiger Woods, there are literally dozens and dozens of articles about Tiger Woods' redemption. And there, it's not one AP author writing and being copied. It's, it's all different authors. This is, this is the theme this week. Redemption, redemption, redemption. And in society, redemption has been cheapened severely in our modern culture. Um, all, all you have to do is, is Google Tiger Woods' name and you'll see redemption all over. Redemption in these stories. What is redemption for Tiger Woods? Okay, somebody said winning. Yeah, yeah. If, if you read the, the, the articles, I, I think I read maybe nine or ten articles about Tiger Woods. The theme is that, that Tiger Woods endured pain and suffering. Some of it self-imposed. Some of it because uh, golf is hard on the back or whatever, and he had all these back surgeries. And because of his pain and suffering, the fact that he won, Tiger Woods now has redemption. How cheap is redemption to our society? The Bible says that Christ's death accomplished our redemption. Webster's says that, that redemption... Is, is this. When a person is, is redeemed, it means that they were released from their sin debt or their debt. The, the sinful act is they're redeemed from that. And what is important about redemption is, is this. Now, now, I'm sure a lot of you sinned this week. I'd ask for a raise of hands, but I'm afraid there'd be a couple liars that wouldn't raise their hands. We, and then you would have just, would have just sinned again. But, um, but we, we all sinned this week. Every single person in this auditorium sinned this week. It could have been something as, as easy as, you know what, I was going seven miles per hour over the speed limit. Or it could have been, your wife looked at you and said, does this dress make me look fat? Um, or it could have been anything. And you're, you're saying to yourself, well, that was just a little sin, right? It's not that, it's no biggie. Little white lie, little sin. But the principle in Scripture that we need to understand is it's not the act itself that makes it so terrible. It's who the act is against. And all sin is against the holy God, the living God. Let me see if I can illustrate it so I can show you the seriousness of sin. I think I've given this illustration before, but this fits so perfectly. So let's say I'm I'm preaching away. And I say something that Jeremiah doesn't like, okay? He's got some nice shoes on, but Jeremiah doesn't like it. And he gets so mad at me that he whips, his, he takes his shoe off and whips it at me, okay? And I'm like, what's, what's your deal, Jeremiah? Why did you do that? You know, I would, just, I would just look at Jeremiah and say, what's the matter, man? You having a bad day or what? Uh, and that would be the end of it. Everybody might say, you know, what's up with him? Or some people might laugh and say, man, I wish he'd hit him or whatever. But uh, it's no big deal. But do you remember back during the Persian Gulf War, President Bush visited the Persian Gulf and during a media event, somebody took off his shoe and threw it at him. Remember what happened to that guy? He went to jail. Now, Jeremiah would not go to jail if he threw a shoe at me. But he would go to jail if he threw a, a shoe at President Trump. What's the difference? The difference is who it's against. And all sin is against the holy God of the universe. 
He's the eternal God. So therefore, all sin, no matter what it is, a little of sin, deserves eternal punishment because it's a, it's, you've offended an eternal and holy God, you see? And that, that is why redemption is cheapened when we use it in the, in the way that we do. Um, all sin is against God. And so therefore, the debt and the punishment of sin goes like this. If sin is eternal, or if sin is against an eternal God, then what is the nature of the punishment? What does it have to be? It has to be eternal. Right? So, there's two ways that you can pay your sin debt. Did you know that there's actually two ways? There are two ways to pay your sin debt. Option number one. You can die in your sin and spend all of eternity... Paying for that eternal sin debt. That's option number one. Option number two is to believe and trust Jesus, the eternal God, sacrifice on the cross so that the eternal God paid for it in an instant. Now, I don't know about you, but I like option two. Right? That, that is the nature of sin. And so Christ's death on the cross paid that eternal sin debt. But that brings us to a second question then that is so very important. And that question is this. What does his resurrection accomplish? Now I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 if, if, um, if you have your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at verse number 17. What does Christ's resurrection accomplish that his death did not? 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Alright, so, if there was no resurrection according to Scripture, where would we be? We would still be in our sins. Now, that, that's a really weird thing. And I'm going to come back to that, but I want to explain what it means to be in sin because that's kind of a weird way of talking, isn't it? In sin. I think the best way to look at it is to look at the opposite concept, which is to be in Christ. And there's a, there's a passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 6, and you can read along with me here. It says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And here's the words, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So verse number 23, Romans 6.23, answers this question of to be in Christ means to receive what Christ does for us. And that is name, eternal life. The opposite of that is found in the first part of that verse. The wages of sin is death. And you have them both compared right here. To be in Christ means eternal life. To be in sin means eternal condemnation and eternal death. Now when we go back to 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, if you're there... In your Bibles, here's what Paul says. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. 
Without the resurrection, we are still bearing our guilt. We're still under condemnation. We're still alienated from God and still unforgiven. Now, if you're thinking with me, I don't know if anybody's thinking about what I'm saying. You might be saying to yourself, yeah, but, but Pastor Edgecombe, you literally just said that Christ died to pay for our sins. That, that is, doesn't seem right, does it? What's going on? If Christ died to pay for our sins, then how is it that if Christ hadn't risen from the dead, we would still be in our sins because Christ paid for our sins? And this is where it gets very interesting. Why are we still in our sins if Christ had risen from the dead? One of the answers that uh, the Bible gives us is this. That the resurrection of Jesus is the reward of His sacrifice. And if the reward is not given, then the sacrifice is deficient. And if the sacrifice is deficient, we're still in our sins. In other words, this. Have you, have you ever um, entered a contest and gotten a participation trophy? What are they saying when, a, when they say that? That was a really nice stick figure you drew in this art contest, but it's not good enough to win an award, right? And if Jesus had died on the cross and not been resurrected, it would have been the same as God saying, you know, that was great that you sacrificed on the cross, but it was not enough for you to earn resurrection. Now, we're talking about Christ here. Okay. I, I want to I show you what I'm talking about. The Bible is, is very clear about this. This is very important. If it weren't for Easter, if it weren't for Easter, you and I would have no ability to forgive somebody else. Did you know that? What do I mean by that? All of the gospel principles that we base our forgiveness on, they're defective if Christ has not been raised from the dead. If Christ will not raise his, if God will not raise his own son out of the tomb and see him beside the Father, then we're still in our sins and our capacity to forgive one another is directly tied to this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that his sacrifice was completely sufficient for our forgiveness. And so therefore gives us the ability to forgive. Do you realize that you can't be forgiven of sin unless somebody pays for that sin? You see how that works? Your forgiveness is based upon what Christ did. Now, Hebrews has a lot to say about it. I want to show you two passages in Hebrews very quickly that, that, that speak to what I'm talking about. And I think, I think you'll see what, I'm, what uh, I'm driving at here. In Hebrews 2.9, the Bible says this, it says, but we see him for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus Christ. And here's the key crowned with glory and honor because of what? Because of his suffering, the suffering of his death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And there it is. Um, I think it's hard to see on the screen. But it's, it, the Bible says that he's crowned with glory because of his suffering of his death. So why was he crowned in glory? His suffering. The reward of his suffering is that he gets crowned with glory. That's another way of putting it, isn't it? The glory and honor that Jesus received in the resurrection and ascension was because of his suffering. His resurrection was the reward of his suffering. 
Therefore, if he has not been raised, then it is because God does not regard his sacrifice as worthy of rewarding its defective and we're still in our sins. One more verse. I want to show you this uh, real quick. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 12. Um, now we see that here's a connection. He had um, for all time a single sa- offered for all. I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong spot here. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There again is the connection. The connection is between his sacrifice and his resurrection. But um, he's going to say how that they were connected. The next verse says, Waiting for the time that his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now we see the connection between his offering and his resurrection. When he offered himself on the cross. God and God said that offering was sufficient. He was seated at the right hand of the Father, and through that now is perfecting us who are being sanctified or who are sanctified. In other words, the, the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins was so complete that he perfected for all time by that one sacrifice. All sins. Now think about this. All your sins. If you're in Christ right now, if you're a believer, if you're on your way to heaven, all your past sins, the sins that you will commit today, and the sins that you'll commit in the future have all been forgiven by one act on the cross. And it was sealed by His resurrection. Therefore, Jesus is at the right hand of God. And so the the resurrection was the Father's reward for Christ's work on the cross. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, we would still be in our sins because that would mean His sacrifice was deficient. But He's been raised. And the point of all these texts is that this resurrection is a reward for His sacrifice and the confirmation of its sufficiency. Now, I want to go back to our original question for just a minute. I'm going to start tying things together and making some application. Are you ready? The original question was, from 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if it's, if it's the blood of Christ, if it's the death of Christ that covers our sins and justifies us before God, then why are we still in our sins if Christ does not raise from the dead? The answer to that question is that the resurrection of Jesus is the reward of His sacrifice. It's the proof of His perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice. Therefore, God does not give um, the reward. If He does not give the reward, it's because the sacrifice was um, futile. And we are still unforgiven. What is the last enemy, the Bible says, is going to be conquered? Death. And by his raising from the dead, being raised from the dead, proves that death has been conquered. And so the message of Easter is the shout, Christ has been raised. Amen? Therefore, ready? Our faith is not futile. 
We are not in our sins. We are not unforgiven. And we need not be unforgiving. Now, how does all this work? How is it that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection, that we're in Christ? Let me see if I can explain it this way. Uh, Football season's coming up quicker than most of you want it to happen. Some of you want it to happen a little bit quicker. But let's just say that, um, you know, the football season happens and, and somebody wins the Super Bowl. I don't know. Let's just call it the Dallas Cowboys. I would hope. The Dallas Cowboys win Super Bowl, whatever number, in 2020. I can't even remember the number. If you know the number, you watch too much football. Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. And there are guys sitting on the sidelines who did not play the first second in the Super Bowl because it was a close game. But when the rewards are handed out, Does that guy sitting on the sideline get a Super Bowl ring? Answer is yes. He gets the Super Bowl ring because he was on the team. And he receives the benefit of the hard work of the people that were on the field, whether he played or not. And the same thing is true for you and me. When we are in Christ, that means that we receive all the rewards that Christ will be given When he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Is that true? The Bible says he was glorified when he went to heaven. We will be glorified when we go to heaven. He will be um, full of joy. We will be full of joy. He has a resurrected body. We will have a resurrected body. And the list could go on and on and on. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us the joy of Easter. Because being in Christ... We get the benefit of his hard work. And whatever he gets, we get. So it's such an amazing thing to think about. And that's the, that's the concept of, of um, resurrection in 1 Corinthians and other places in, in the Bible. Now, I want to make a little bit of application in one specific area. Because when you talk about Christ dying on the cross... And and you talk about the resurrection. You're talking about another term other than redemption, and it's called forgiveness. The Bible says it in other places. It's because of Christ that we have forgiveness. Are you familiar with that term, forgiveness? Right? And as as, uh, I'm in ministry longer and longer, I'm aware more and more how people get hurt in this life. How there are, are needs uh, for people to forgive you people sitting right here today maybe you've been hurt by your parents rejected by your parents maybe maybe you've been hurt by a spouse maybe a spouse hurt you in the most personal way maybe your children have hurt you in some way and it could actually be a trusted religious leader as well how egregious is that these breaches of trust require the christian to be forgiving why why because we were forgiven right because we were forgiven and if we're in christ then the things that he did we need to do and he forgave so therefore we need to forgive but a lot of times we don't understand the nature of forgiveness 
what, what we would rather do is, is stew in our anger sometimes, wouldn't, wouldn't we? Sometimes we stew in self-pity. Sometimes we close ourselves off in self-protection. Well, I don't want to get hurt again, so I'm just going to completely close myself off. How many times was in his earthly ministry was Jesus attacked, 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 and he never closed himself off in self-protection? He kept on ministering, kept on ministering, because while there were some people attacking, there were many people being blessed. And, and when you put yourself out there in ministry, when you begin to care about people, love people, and do things for people, there are going to be some people that you're a tremendous blessing to, and there are going to be some people who hurt you deeply. And to be like Christ means that we, we learn forgiveness. But what is forgiveness? What does it look like when we forgive? There's a, there's a Puritan. His name is Thomas Watson. And I love the Puritans. Their meditations on different topics, spiritual topics, are, are uh, amazing. And in his book, uh, his magnus opus called A Body of Divinity, he wrote this about forgiveness. This is the way he described it. He said, forgiveness is... Forgiving those who've been wrong includes resisting revenge, not returning evil for evil, wishing them well, grieving at their calamities, praying for their welfare, seeking reconciliation so far as it depends upon you, and coming to their aid in distress. Now you look at that list, and you think about people that you may be struggling to to forgive, and you're thinking... There is no way that I can do that. That The bar is set way too high. Except that, dear person, if you're in Christ, these are the exact things that Jesus did for you. Jesus is the one who does not seek revenge on your sin. Jesus is the one who does not return evil for your evil. Jesus is the one who, who wants the best for you. Jesus is the one that grieves at your calamities when you're grieving. Jesus is the one who, the Bible says, is interceding for you at the Father's right hand. Literally, when you pray, He prays. And He's praying for you and He's interceding. Seeking welfare. Coming to our aid when we're in distress. These are the things that Jesus did. And to be in Christ means that Christ has given you the power and you the ability to do the exact same thing. That's what it means to be forgiving. That's... I'm going to be honest with you, that's a daunting task, isn't it? I struggle with these. Anybody else struggle with these? We do, don't we? But that's what Jesus did. The resurrection gives us the power to forgive. He, if these things are true, if the resurrection is true, then we can forgive. If these things are true, we can endure anything. If these things are true, we can go on giving and giving and giving and forgiving 70 times 7 because of the love of God, the sacrifice of God, and the inheritance that we have as God's children is inexhaustible. Jesus Christ is alive today for this reason, to deliver us personally and powerfully from everything He, He died to obtain, including our being forgiven and our forgiving others. I'm going to close with the one question, and that's this. Have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven? What is, how do you get forgiven of your sins? Do you get forgiven of your sins by giving a lot to the church? No, but if you give a lot, give it to our church, okay? 
do you do you get forgiven by trying to make your good works out outweigh your bad? No. Do you get forgiven when you practice self-flagellation like all the monks and the in the monasteries and and deny yourself everything good? Does that does that receive forgiveness? Answer is no. The Bible is very clear that forgiveness is given through Jesus Christ. And this is how it works. You ready? Jesus died on the cross to pay your penalty so you can go to heaven. Your trust in what He did is your forgiveness. You admit to Jesus. You admit to God, God, I am a sinner. There is no way that I deserve heaven. And there's no way I can do anything to get myself to heaven. So therefore, I am throwing myself at Jesus' feet and what He did, the sacrifice on the cross to get there, because that's the only way I'm getting there. Right? Do you know what the fruit of that kind of belief is? The fruit of that kind of belief is what we call repentance. Repentance is a word metanao, and it simply means a change of mind. And what that means is that you rethink everything about your life now, particularly spiritual things. For example, that little white lie that used to not bother you at all begins to bother you because you realize that God's a God of truth. And if you're going to be like God, you've got to be absolutely truthful, right? That means um, the, the little things that we do, the thoughts in our mind. For example, let me tell you, can I tell you one of my sinful moments? Is that okay? All right, I'm going to tell you one. This happened years ago. I'm not going to give you anything recent. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. All right. Follow me. We were driving from Memphis. Are you embarrassed? <laughs> we were driving from Memphis to uh, Decatur, Illinois, where my, my parents live. We did it overnight. I had one child that, that was just a terror in the car. I know nobody else has ever had that happen. So we figured the best way to get around this is to drive at night, so hopefully he would sleep. He didn't, I don't think. But um, we're driving, it's like 5 o'clock in the morning, and the route that we took drives us by several big colleges in Illinois, and we're driving up the interstate, and it's, it's kind of raining, and I have my cruise control set, and um, I'm going around the semi-truck, but you know when you have your cruise control set, sometimes you're a little bit slow going past, and this car comes zooming up behind me, gets right on my tail. And I remember I've been up all night, five o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was, is somewhere around there. And he starts flashing his lights right on my tail. And I was doing a slow burn. I was just ticked off. And I get around and he goes flying past me. It was a young kid, college, um, a guy in college that looked like just flying by me, and I was just fuming. I'm not kidding you. Half uh, half hour later. The, the interstate splits, and you can take a turn towards the west, and it's a big, long, like a mild curve. You know what I'm talking about? And I see these cars stop by the side of the road, and I see way off into a field that same car. So not only did I do sinful anger, but then I had sinful joy at his calamity. And that, that I was not grieving at his calamity. And it's these kind of things. Now, we laugh about it now, right? But I know that to have that kind of attitude 
is not pleasing to Jesus Christ. And so I repent of that. And I could give you instance after instance after instance. And that's what repentance is. So we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, our repentance grows every day. And we grow in Christ. And so that is how you receive forgiveness. You trust Christ. The Bible says believe on Jesus Christ. How do you know that you've been forgiven? You see in your life a growth in these areas. You see more repentance in your life and more change in your life. And that is the fruit of of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, just coming out of your life. So let me ask you a question. Have you been forgiven? Does Christ's resurrection guarantee your entry into heaven? If you're not sure, you can make it final today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Believing on His works. Christ's resurrection guaranteed our entry into heaven and guaranteed our power to overcome sin in this life until we get there. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. These have been these have been kind of deep, heavy truths that I talked about today, but they're such a blessing for us to think about and to meditate upon. Lord, I just ask that um, that if we're in Christ already, that we will, uh, that your Holy Spirit will draw us closer to you, that our repentance will become more real, more settled every day, that every day as we look into the glass darkly, that we'll be changed into the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are self-deceived, thinking that they're on their way to heaven, and Lord, there's really no fruit in their life. I ask that your Spirit will speak to them that maybe today will be their day of salvation. And for those who maybe do not know, maybe they're struggling, asking themselves, am I a Christian or if I'm not, that today will be the day that they get that settled. But Lord, regardless, I ask that we go from here rejoicing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.